You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. Welcome to Foothills Church. My name's Landon. I'm so glad that you joined us today. If you do have your Bibles, I want to invite you to get them out and open them up to 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going to be today. And uh, we're going to be looking at the story of the depression that Elijah had after he had the big showdown on Mount Carmel. So go ahead and turn there. And, and like I said, my name's Landon. I am our next-gen pastor here. I'm so glad that you did join us. Uh, if it's your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you made it. And man, it's cold outside, right? Like it, it, like it hit fall. Fall went to winter very, very quickly. Now, how many of y'all took your kids trick-or-treating uh, this past week? Okay, awesome, awesome. So it was an experience with that wind, right? And so fall is here. I love fall. It's my favorite season. And I don't know if you know this, but October was what in the church world we know as Pastors Appreciation Month. And um, and it's just a month where we want to honor our pastors. And I'm thinking back to all the all the years and all the times I've spent with some of our pastors here. Man, I'm so appreciative of the leadership that God has given this church, aren't you? And and as I think through, absolutely. And uh, I texted Pastor Trent this week because often when he's traveling or at other ministry engagements, he, he'll ask other guys to, to speak here and ask him, hey, are you gonna be here this weekend? And he said, yes, I'm, I'm gonna be here. And I was like, man, I'm so excited because I wanted to just take a moment. And I think it would be so great if we as a church could just honor Pastor Trent, right? Like his leadership in this church and what, what God has done through him and his family and his wife, like you need to know that your pastor is often under spiritual attack. Your pastor, they, like the enemy wants to discourage him. The enemy wants to discourage his kids and wants to discourage his family and, and bring warfare into his life because what God is doing at this church is unbelievable. So can we just stand and honor Pastor Trent this morning? You can have a seat. But thank you so much for, for giving me this opportunity this morning. We're so thankful for you as a church. And I just wanna remind you that, that he does love Ruth's Chris gift cards, okay? <laughs> uh, it's, his love language is Ruth's Chris, I'm just saying. Uh, but, you know, October is Pastor's Appreciation Month, and uh, October is one of, in my family, uh, one of our favorite holidays and things to just have fun with, and that is Halloween. Like, I, uh, we, we trick-or-treat. If you saw my Instagram story this week, you saw my, my family's house is packed with Halloween decorations. And, and so, now, uh, one thing I've always been fascinated with with Halloween is haunted houses. Now, back, maybe, maybe you're still in your haunted house days that you still like to do those things. Uh, how many of y'all loved haunted houses, Okay. All right, okay. Anybody like, heck no. <laughs> There's no way. All right, okay. I feel that too. Now, I heard about this haunted house, and it's been labeled the scariest haunted house in America. And uh, it, it's crazy. And here's the thing. If you get through it, it's actually in Tennessee, but if you get through it, you get $20,000, okay? And it is completely free. Here's the catch. You have to sign a 40-page waiver before you go into this thing. <laughs> you have to pass a drug test, a background check, and you have to watch a two-hour training video. And listen, no one has ever made it through without saying the safe word and getting out early. Now, some of you all, you might be military, you're like, oh, I could do that. Nobody's ever made it through. People travel all across the world to, to go through this thing, and it's unbelievable. Well, I, I did some research on it and was looking into, what, why, why can't anybody get through this like 19-hour haunted, 19 hours haunted house? 
Well, here's what they're really good at. They're really good at hypnotizing you, essentially. So they said that they can make you, they can put you in a kiddie pool of about two or three inches of water and make you feel as if there is a great white shark in the tank with you. And so everybody is so afraid because they have their perspective, they've been so deceived and they've been so mentally broken down that they can believe just about anything that that person tells them that they in fact think that they are dying, that they are actually being killed and so they will say the safe word and get out before they ever get the $20,000. Now, anybody's like, yeah, I definitely can do that. No, nobody's like, I'm gonna do that. That's a terrible idea. But it's crazy that no one's ever made it through. See, that's the power of deception. That's the power of perspective. That is that they can deceive you into thinking this, that they're not going to take your life. Like there's a group of people around you. They're not hurting you. They're not going to kill you, but they can make you think that you are dying. From one perspective, you're in a kiddie pool, but in another perspective, you're in Jaws. Like that is what they can do. That's the power of perception and perspective. See, I think we've all had moments like that, haven't we? Here's what I mean. We've all had moments where the problem wasn't going to kill us, but we felt like it was. To where, to where you, deep down, you, 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 you feel like the world is caving in on you, and you feel like you're, the problem is going to break you. You feel like everything is crashing down, and you look around, and you see the world's still turning. People are, are, are still getting up and they're going to work. The world's not burning. But deep down, you can't shake the pit in your chest that feels like you are, in fact, dying. And if you've ever struggled with depression, you know that that is very much what the feeling is like. Everything's crumbling. No matter how loud you scream from one perspective, no one hears you. No one's going to help you out of the proverbial pool. And couple that depression with the lack of conversation that we often have around depression in churches. And I'm not just talking about our, I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the, the broader American church in the last 50 years. We haven't done a good job at talking about how Christians can walk through depression. And so though you, you feel like you're drowning and then you go to church and you see that nobody's really talking about this. So that means there's other Christians who, who are, they're not struggling with it either. So what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling this way? Why is everything crumbling for me? And their lives are great. They take pictures of, on vacation and I'm over here at my house if crippled with so much anxiety. Like what is going on? And there's no conversation around it and it feels like, man, I can't even get help at church because maybe you've even been told this before, that true Christians don't deal with depression. See, I know for, for some of you, they, that has, maybe that has been something that has actually been said to you verbatim. Listen, you can't be a Christian and, and, and struggle with depression. See, there's this stigma in our culture that Christianity and loving God and pursuing him and being in a small group just kind of takes away all the problems from your life. And, and we have been told this, but I'll be honest, I've never met a Christian who's done great things for the Lord who hasn't walked through a season of depression. I mean, if you look in, in your Bible, David was physically hurting. He was so depressed. 
Job, in, in his, in his uh, part of the Bible, he, he, he questions his own existence. Moses was so deeply grieved for his people that he was hurting. Jeremiah was lonely, defeated, and despairing. Paul was tormented physically day and night by some type of physical chronic deformity. Even as you look at some of the Christian heroes, C.S. Lewis after the war in Britain was, was greatly depressed. Mother Teresa describes a great depression that she had after seeing the pain of her people. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers, described a deep, deep depression that he had that some people believe that he never recovered from before he died. See, we have been told that true Christians don't deal with depression. And I want you to know, that, that is a lie. That is is a lie. So hear me, if you are a Christian and, and, and you're ministering to people and you're pouring your heart out for the kingdom of God, you need to know that you will walk through seasons of depression. It may vary from, from intensity, but you will walk through hard, rough season. You may experience depression from grief. You may experience seasonal depression, depression from trauma, you may even be clinically diagnosed with depression. And it doesn't mean you are not a Christian. It just means that you're human and that you live in a broken world. So today in part two of our series, Place of Peace, we're gonna talk about depression. And, and if you're depressed this morning and you're feeling a little hopeless, I want you to know that this is for you. And maybe you're like, man, things are good right now and I've walked through that and I'm experiencing victory in that. Well, I want you to know this message is also for you because if you're going to be a person who walks with those who hurt, you're gonna walk people through this and you need to know how to help them walk because Christians often say a lot of bad things to depressed people. And so as we jump in today, let me just stop and say, I am not a licensed counselor. I am not a therapist. I am not an expert on mental health. I'm not a physician. I'm a pastor. So as we discuss depression, we're gonna discuss today primarily spiritually rooted depressions. Not necessarily mental health disorders such as bipolar or, or schizophrenia or, or other disorders in, in that, but I do believe that there's spiritual dimensions to just about every issue that we face. And I believe that we can receive some help through God's word. So today I wanna look at a, a story from a man named Elijah. And, and many of you all know Elijah, for he was, he was calling fire down from heaven in this great miracle. And we're going to look today at some of the things that happened after that. So if you do have your Bibles and you haven't got there yet, it's 1 Kings chapter 19. And so let me give you a little backstory on Israel's history. Israel had a great king. His name was King David. King David, he was a great king, but he was not a perfect king. And, and as King David was reigning, he, he had a son named Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Well, after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was divided. And, and we're gonna talk about those two kingdoms here. So, so as you're turning there, let me give you some backstory. So first thing you need to know is this, is Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was Judah and there was Israel. Some know them as the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Israel's served two different gods at this point in time. Israel served the Canaanite god named Baal. It was a bad, terrible thing to worship Baal. And, and Judah served Yahweh. That's another word, the Old Testament uh, name for the, for the Lord God, our God, the God that we know as the God of the Bible. It is the Lord. So they served two different gods. And, and Israel's leaders were very evil. 
So they, they worshiped Baal, so they had really bad, bad leaders. They had Ahab and his wife Jezebel. They were terrible, wicked king and queen of Israel. And, and Elijah was called to be a prophet to Israel. So Elijah is now sent from God to go to Israel where Ahab and Jezebel are and to preach the word, to speak the word and say, if you don't turn from Baal, you are going to face judgment. But they would not listen. So enter in Elijah. Elijah wanted Ahab and Jezebel to repent. So he, he has an idea. He says, all right, let's see who the one true God is. So they went up on Mount Carmel, was one of the highest mounts, and they, and they said that, okay, we're gonna create altars. And, and if, if Baal can call fire down from heaven to burn up this altar, then Baal's the real God. But if Yahweh does it, if the Lord God does it, then that is the real God. So they go up on this mountain. Now this would have been like, like, like the place where as many people could come and watch and see. It would have been like, like, like Nayland Stadium. Everybody's there. It's packed out for the heavyweight battle between the gods. And so Baal's prophets, they do their thing for hours and they're praying that, that Baal would send down fire from heaven. It doesn't happen. So Elijah's like, watch this. He throws water onto the altar. He prays and God, the Lord God, Yahweh, sends down fire from heaven, burns up up the altar and everybody sees that Baal is a false god and Yahweh is the one true God. As you can imagine, Elijah was ecstatic. This would have been the moment where Jezebel and Ahab would finally know that they are just worshiping a worthless idol. They are not worshiping the true God. This was the moment. I mean, Nayland Stadium was packed out. Everybody saw it. And so let's jump into 1 Kings chapter 19 to see what Happened. So this is our verse. So Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, Surely Yahweh is the Lord and Baal is not. May all of the northern kingdom bow down and worship Elijah's God. If you're following along in, in, in scripture this morning, you realize that that's not what happened, is it? But that's what we would expect. I mean, the whole stadium was packed out. Everybody sees that, that Baal is worthless. Yahweh is not, but, but, but that's not what it says. In fact, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me more also if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. In fact, the opposite is taking place now. Ahab and Jezebel have sent a messenger to say, Elijah, we are coming. All, we're sending out all of our thugs, all of our cronies to come get you, to kill all the prophets of Yahweh and to kill you as well. Your miracle, though fire came down from heaven, we are not buying it. And Elijah, you can imagine how he responds. So, so he said in verse four, it says this. Then he was afraid and he rose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Remember, he was in Israel. He ran, runs to Judah and he left his servant there. It says, but he himself went on a day's journey in a wilderness and came and sat down 
under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. So he expected Ahab and Jezebel to turn, but now he sees that, man, they're just doubling down. They're going to kill me. And so he runs and he, he's burnt out. He's at the end of his rope and he's saying, Lord, would you just take away my life? It's enough. I am ready to die. Please, Lord, I don't want to experience the pain. I don't want to experience this loneliness. He's at rock bottom. He's away from his calling. He's far from home. He's isolated. He's lonely. He's burnt out. He is depressed. And some say that this mighty man of God who has devoted his life to the Lord is now ready to die. Some might even say that he is suicidal in this moment. He wants the pain to stop because he expected God to break through. But now he is experiencing a breakdown. And so I want us to ask this this morning. Why is Elijah depressed? Why, why is he depressed? I mean, think about this. You just called fire down from heaven. You would expect God to show up. You would expect that this would have been the miracle. But listen, he expected that this would have been the plan, the game-changing miracle. But God never made that promise to Elijah or anyone else. Sure, it was a part of God's plan, but it wasn't the plan. God expe or Elijah expected big things from God. He attempted big things for God, but God never promised that Israel would turn after the miracle because the plan of God was different than Elijah. So, so, so why is Elijah depressed? Because he expected God to do something God never promised to do. He never promised that this would have been the plan that would have turned Ahab and Jezebel. He never promised that. And so, for example, I want you to look at what he says. He says, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. There's a lot of me, I's in that sentence. His perspective is very focused on his plan. And the Bible says in verse five, it says, and he lays down and he sleeps under a broom tree, and behold, an angel. Now, I'm just gonna stop here for a moment because Elijah's at the end of his rope. He said, it's enough, take away my life. And the spirit of God is right there with him. And, and, and I feel like there's some of you all this morning who may need to hear that, that you're in your depression and, and you're struggling this morning and I want you to know that the Lord is with you. He is here for you. He understands. He knows. Even though nobody in your family may know what you're struggling through, I want you to know that the Lord is right there with his people, even at the end of their rope. He is there with him. But God is not just going to leave you there. He is in the work of restoring your joy. And I want to show you how, how God helps Elijah in this. God helps Elijah physically in his depression. Now, let me tell you what I mean here, physically. It says, and he lays down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and he lays down again. Now, 
The Bible says that he actually does this another time and that he went and he, in the strength that he had. Now, I want you to look very specifically at what the angel of the Lord does. The first thing he does is he makes him take a nap. He, he makes him a meal. He gets him hydrated and, and he, he touches him. So why does God do this to Elijah in his depression? Because here, hear me. There's a very physical component to depression. See, he makes him take a nap because God knows that, that loss of sleep can be a key trigger to depression. In fact, the National Sleep Institute reports that people with insomnia have greater levels of depression and anxiety than those who sleep normally. They are 10 times as likely to have clinical depression and 17 times as likely to have clinical anxiety. So he makes him take a nap. Then he makes him a meal because God knows that when we haven't eaten well, when we've ate like garbage all weekend long or we've gone without food that the glucose levels in our body drop and it greatly affects our mood. He, he gives him something to drink. The University of Connecticut Human Performance Lab says it only takes 1.5% loss of normal human water volume in your body for it to greatly affect your mood. And then he touches him because God knows that we as humans, we need the non-sexual touch of a hug, a hand on a shoulder, a handshake. To It's what's called attachment theory that allows us to build trust and to build a bond with somebody else to know that everything's going to be okay. So God ministers to Elijah very physically. He, 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 he makes him take a nap and all these different things because he made our bodies. He knows our bodies and he knows how to fix them when they are broke. But he also doesn't stop there. He also helps Elijah relationally. So it says this. It says, there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And he responds, he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the people of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And even I, only I, am left. And they seek to take my life. But I, I wanna go back here for a second. He asked him a question. Do you think the Lord didn't know why he was there? You think he's like, man, I really don't know why you're here, Elijah. What are you doing? Like, wh why are you here? No. Lord knows, he, he understands, he knows him better than Elijah, knows himself. He's a good friend, isn't he? He just asked him a question. He asked him a question and then he stops and he listens. He, he, pours, he then pours out his anxiety in his heart to the Lord because he's a friend. Because God knows that oftentimes what we need in depression is a friend. And then... God helps Elijah spiritually in his depression. He says this. And then he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and there was a great wind. And it tore through the mountains and broke into pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So there's all these amazing things happening, but, but Elijah knows that that's not the Lord. And, and then this, and he says, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. The angel of the Lord has helped him physically. He's listened to him. And now he is about to speak. And he says this to him. He says, and 
The Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, look for Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nemishi. You shall anoint him to be king over Israel and Elijah, the son of Shaphat. And it says, and he goes on, he kind of gives him a plan. He begins to speak to Elijah, tells him what, what he needs to do because he needed a word from the Lord as well. And he says this, and I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and the mouth that has not kissed him. See, this is the perspective that God wanted Elijah to see. But he had to help him physically, relationally, and spiritually in order for him to trust. Because God knows that what you need in depression is you need all three of those things in order to bring you back into the place where you can trust in God's perspective, not your own. Because God knows that Elijah is not just a physical being and depression is not just a physical thing. In fact, I, I wanted to show you this today because humans, we really are, we're three-dimensional. Okay, and here's what, here's what I mean by that. We have a physical nature. God created us this way. We have bodies that hurt, they bleed, they have cells, they have chemicals, our brain has chemicals. We are a very physical person, but we are also a relational person. We need friends, we need community, we need somebody to listen to us, we need somebody to put their hand on our shoulder and tell us everything's gonna be all right. He knows that Elijah's a physical person, a relational person, but he's not just those things. This is not just biology. This is not just community. This is also spiritual. And so we as humans, we are a three-dimensional being. We're physical, we're relational, and we're spiritual. And God ministers to Elijah using all three to bring him back to the place of peace. And here's what God knows about depression. Is that depression is three-dimensional as well. That if you're struggling with depression... It's not just a verse that you're gonna read and everything's gonna be okay. You might need to take a nap. You might need to have a good meal and to, to get healthy in order for you to get your perspective back. And in depression, you cannot have the real peace that God intends for your life until you are learning to trust in the right perspective. Elijah was seeing only his perspective. He wasn't seeing that God had a different plan. So for example, um, one day I was doing what I usually do on Sunday afternoons, which is taking a nap, okay? And I have a group of guys who come over to my house at about 6.30 on, um, on, on Sunday night, and we, we study and, and we sit around a fire and, and just hang out. Uh, well, the, these high school guys that were coming over, it's about five o'clock, I'm taking a nap. I'm in bed, okay? Well, I am laying there asleep and all of a sudden, I hear the door to my house fling open. And I have a pistol beside my bed. So I'm in a sleepy stupor here, okay? And so I'm like, somebody's in my house. So I get up. I mean, it's, we're an hour and a half from small group, okay? It's a long ways out. Nobody's texting me. Nobody's calling me. So I come out. There's an intruder in my house. Somebody is coming to take my things. They're coming to steal. They're coming to hurt me. And so I come out in my underwear with a pistol. And I thought it was an intruder, but it was really Graham Russell, one of my students, showing up 90 minutes before small group, Okay? See, that's the power of perspective. From one perspective, it's, somebody, it's a thief. But from another perspective, it's Graham. <laughs> Ring the doorbell, boy. All right, if you're in here today, that's your word from the Lord today, okay? <laughs> My goodness. See, 
That's the power of perspective. You have to have the right perspective. You have to trust in God's perspective. And Elijah needed the multidimensional help of God to trust in that perspective. See, here's my bottom line today, is that you cannot have real peace until you trust the right perspective. Elijah wasn't trusting in, in, in God's perspective. See, from his perspective, the miracle should have worked. This should have been the thing that turned Ahab and Jezebel's heart. From his perspective, the miracle of fire down from heaven would have been the game-changing event. But God never promised that Elijah's miracle would do that. He just asked him to pray. Now, before you get all, here's another preacher trying to tell me to just have the perspective of God. I Listen, I've been to Bible studies. I've tried that, and I don't really know how because we as Christians, like I said, we, we say some pretty silly things to people in depression. We'll say things like, snap out of it. Like Romans 8, 28, don't you know that? It's like, yes, I know that. Or, or like, let go and let God. You just do that next time. All right. What? Or like, I, I bet Jesus didn't act like that on the cross, did he? Mm-hmm, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. Or, or, or it, bro, it could be worse. You've never been to Africa, have you? Like, oh, that's really helpful, guys. Gosh, we say some terrible things, but that's not how God deal, deals with Elijah. He doesn't just tell him to snap out of it. He, 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 he ministers to him multidimensionally because he knows that depression is not just a physical thing. It's not just a relational thing. It's not just a spiritual thing. It's all three. And so if you're struggling with depression or if you're walking with somebody who's walking through depression, I, I wanna encourage you to try these three powerful ways to seek God's help in the battle. So first thing I wanna encourage you to do is to, is to seek out physical help. And, and, and these are in no order because it's, it's one thing. And so remember, the Lord gives Elijah a nap. He gives him a meal, he gets him hydrated, and he touches him. And so maybe you're experiencing a seasonal depression. Here's what I mean by that. It could literally be seasonal from winter or the holidays. It could be from grief. It could be depression from a circumstance in your life, like the loss of a job. It could be depression after a pregnancy. It could be after menopause. There's a real reality that you just may be physically depleted in some way. And, and there's a reality here that, that maybe the thing that your heart needs is a nap. I've heard that one of the most spiritual things you can do is take a nap sometimes. And, and, and maybe you, you need to, you need to, you're stressed out and you're just not eating. Or, or you're really, really busy going from thing to thing and you're just not drinking water. See, that's going to affect you. And, and you may need to seek that physical help in order to get your place, yourself back to the place where you're trusting in God's perspective, not your own. Maybe you're experiencing something more prolonged like a, a clinical depression. This could be from a chemical imbalance in your brain, a mental disorder, or something physical that needs to be corrected by a doctor. And there's a reality that getting a gym membership and stop watching Netflix so much isn't going to help you. See, you may need to see a mental health professional and there's no shame in doing that. Hear me, there's no shame in doing that. There's no shame in getting help. See, in either of these situations, whether it's clinical or seasonal or, or just you're just sad right now, like seeking help is not something to be embarrassed about. Let's kill the stigma because it may be that physical help that you need that's instrumental in helping you get your perspective back. So here's three things. I'm gonna hit them really quickly. Man, the first thing that seeking out physical help is just sleep, diet, and exercise. 
How, how are those things going in your life? What about, what about this? Are you taking a Sabbath weekly? Are you resting? See, if we're stressed out and we're going from thing to thing, we're gonna be depressed. Or, or, or maybe you, you need to be open to seeking clinical help. And the second thing I would just encourage you to do is to seek out relational help. Now, I want you to look at what Elijah does here. Elijah, when he goes to Beersheba, it says he was afraid, he rose, and he ran for his life to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. What does he do? He isolates himself. Isn't that what we do when we're sad? We say, I, I, just, need to, I just need to take time for myself. I just need to get alone. And I realize there's a reality that sometimes we need to process, but there's not a reality to where we need to go and, and lay in bed all day. Because what happens often is the enemy wants to isolate you so he can keep speaking lies into your heart so that everything sinful in you, your old man, your old nature can just rise up and tell you all these negative thoughts that you're, this is always gonna be like this. It's, all, it's gonna happen this way. Your worst fears are going to come true. And often we isolate ourselves and we keep ourselves out of community so there's no one else speaking in the truth of God into our lives. And I want you to also see what Elijah does. He says this, he says, uh, he, he says, I'm the only one left. I'm the only person who, who is left who's serving God. And, he's, and Jesus says, the Lord says, I will leave 7,000 in Israel. So was he alone? No, he wasn't. There were other people who were still serving God, but he was convinced he was. And in depression, that's what happens. We tell ourselves, no one understands us. No one knows what you're going through. There's no one else at this church who has struggled like you have. And that is a lie from hell. God says, I am leaving a remnant. I am leaving people to walk with you. And he says, I am building my church right here. There are people, you do not have to isolate yourself. So you can seek out a friend you can seek out relational help. Here's some, maybe some practical ways to help you in that. Maybe you find a safe person in your life who will just listen. Not the person who's like, who one-ups you every time. Oh, I remember when that happened to me and it was so much worse. It's like, no, those, those people are, are great humans to friend on Facebook and that's it, okay? <laughs> so find a safe person in your life who will listen. Share, share your life in a small group. This is why we do groups. It's why we don't do Sunday school. Because we want you to have a community of people where you're sharing your heart and then speaking the truth of God into your life. And then three is this. Be open to getting someone you pay to listen. <laughs> it's to listen and to speak truth. Of Getting Christian counseling from a great place like Ebenezer Counseling. Getting, getting counseling to seek out that relational help. And then he, another thing I would encourage you to do or encourage someone in your life is to seek out spiritual help. See, often what happens in depression is, our, is, is we know the truth of God. We believe it with all of our heart, but we don't feel it. It's that our mind knows, don't make a God of that. That's not gonna hurt you. God is for you, God is with you. Our mind knows it, but our heart is running here and we feel like we're dying. We feel like everything's crumbling. And it's like, man, if I could just get those two lines to meet, 
If I could get what my heart, if I get what my heart feels and what my mind knows to, to match up, and, and, and that's where we need to seek out spiritual help. And I love what a pastor, his name's Matt Chandler, he says when that happens, when our mind and our heart don't match up. He says to sit under the waterfall of God's grace and wait. Now, that's very she should go on a mug or something on a t-shirt. Like, that's so poetic. It's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> I just fall on me, Lord. Okay. It means we allow the truth of God in every aspect of our life to just saturate us, to just keep piling on scripture, to keep piling on spiritual music, to keep piling on friends and, and, and things that, that keep you thinking about the Lord. If you're afraid of home invaders, don't watch shows about home invaders. If you're afraid of dying, don't watch shows about death. We, we pile on, we sit under the waterfall of God's grace, knowing those spiritual things, knowing those realities that God says are true instead of listening to the lies of this world. And so here's what this may look like in your life. It's simply guarding your heart. And I know that's a spiritual word, that, that it's kind of a Christian buzzword, but that just means we don't allow negativity and we don't allow things to get into our heart that, is, that detract us from the word of God, that detract us from his truth. And so that may be what you follow on Twitter or, or the people that you speak to or follow on, on, on Instagram or on Facebook. It may be that you don't read the paper in the mornings every day because it worries you. It may mean that you don't watch every movie that comes out or watch every new Netflix series because you're guarding yourself. It, uh, what about number two? You, you prioritizing your personal worship and Bible reading. Man, you're always gonna lose a battle with the enemy if you're not in the word of God. It's, it's very simple. I know we, we may have learned it in Sunday school that it's the sword of the spirit, but it's true. And then three is build your life in the local church. See, when you're serving, when you're in a group, when, when you're here every week, when you're listening to podcasts, when you're listening to messages and you're just sitting under that waterfall of God's grace and waiting on your heart and your mind to match up. Because here's the bottom line, is you cannot have real peace until you trust the right perspective. And all three of those things are great ways for you to bring yourself back into trusting God's perspective to trusting that his ways are better than ours. We want the miracle to, to just take depression away. But God says, you may have to wait a little bit. You may have to walk. You may have to, to struggle. But listen, I'm still here and I'm still good. So stop looking for quick fixes to life. This life is broken. Like it's never going to be fixed. But we can trust in God's perspective and still be in the place of peace no matter what's going on in any circumstances in our life. We need to quit looking for quick fixes to our depression because a pill can't fix it. A friend can't fix it. Just a verse doesn't fix things. We need to trust in God's perspective. We need to trust our Father. We need to quit trying to do self-help. We need to quit with the power of positive thinking. We need to quit wishing things were different. We need to quit just trying to live our best lives. And we need to trust that His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And His perspective is better than ours. See, God doesn't promise that we will have a great life. 
He promises something far better. See, I honestly think we get depressed when, when we get depressed the most when we expect God to do something in our lives that he never promised to do. And we expect in a way that's like, God, you need to do this or you're not, you're not good. Like, who, I, this is just what you do. Like, let, let, me, let me give you an example. You know, sometimes we take scripture out of context and we, we read things like, you're made to live, have life and life more abundantly. And then abundantly, that definition for us means that, man, my kids are never going to run from God. They're, everybody's going to be safe in my life. We're gonna grow up in a good community with a white picket fence and a nice house on a lot of property and everything's gonna be good. That is the abundant life. But God never promised that. And so we sing songs, like some of the songs we sing here at church, and we take them out of context. You know, I love the song, Do It Again. We sing that a lot here on Sunday mornings. And, it, and there's words in the song, it says, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe that I'll see you do it again. And there's songs of faith that we get all excited about, and I love that song. But oftentimes we take it out of context, don't we? We're like, God, I've seen you move. You gave me a job when I was 21 years old and I've worked in that career for 30 years and now I'm 55 and, and, and I just got laid off and I don't know where I'm gonna go, but I believe I'll see you do it again. But God never promised for you to have a job. I, I, I've read the Bible and, and I've never seen it. Or, or, or we sing a song like we sang this morning, Won't Stop Now. I know that breakthrough is coming by faith I will see a miracle. And, and we think to ourselves, man, by faith, Lord, I'm gonna believe it. I'm gonna speak it. I'm gonna walk in it. By faith, Lord, my business venture is gonna work out or I'm gonna get a new house. I'm gonna see that miracle. And we read scripture and God never promises that anywhere. Or, or we sing a song that our team wrote, something new, something now, and I love that song, but we take it out of context. And we think, you're gonna give me something new, something now. And in your mind, you're like, God, give me someone new, someone now, because your girl needs a husband. <laughs> and it's like, I, I got to find a girlfriend. Like, give me someone new. And, and it's like, but, but God never promised those things. See, what happens when God doesn't give you the job? What happens when breakthrough doesn't give you the house? What happens when you don't get the husband or wife that you thought would work out and you're filing divorce papers? What, what happens when you thought retirement was going to be secure, but you're 65 and you go to look and, and there's not a lot left? What happens when you believe that Jesus Christ is your living hope and your loved one dies? After you prayed and prayed and prayed, and you believe, and by faith, you thought you were gonna see a miracle and it didn't happen. Leanne and I, like many of you learned firsthand this experience in the past two years. Leanne and I got the news that we were having a baby. And on July 4th weekend, we saw some, uh, 2017, July 4th, we saw some pretty vivid medical signs that we were probably having a miscarriage. And and we had to wait, here's the worst part about it, is we had to wait three days to see a doctor. And you better believe in those three days, we prayed. We cried out to God. We believed in God. We spoke words of faith and songs of faith. We, we, we prayed scripture. We trusted God together. But the news came back and there was no heartbeat. It broke our hearts. 
We cried more than we ever knew how. We were angry. We were upset. And we were depressed. But as we began to heal, our marriage got strong. And I mean really strong. We started to to see this suffering from God's perspective. And here's what we realized. We knew his perspective was different. And here on earth, we started to see it. And we realized that this baby was in heaven with Jesus. Our marriage got stronger here on earth. And then we received the blessing of our second child, Nora. And others in our church and in our friends are strengthened through our story. See, we could have been angry. We could have ran from God, but God never promised that that baby would live. He never promised we'd get pregnant in the first place. He he never promised we'd have a child, but he promised his presence through it all. And that's enough. See, when I sing, do it again, when I hear those words of faith, this is, I believe I'll see you do it again. I can remember that God was good and I was bad and God did it again and sent his son Jesus for me. When I hear the words of, I know that breakthrough is coming, I know that I'm gonna have a breakthrough and God's gonna break through my sin and death and I'm gonna live in eternity with Jesus. When I hear that God did something new, something now, he sent his son Jesus so that I could have new life. Here's what I'm trying to say. If God never gave us anything but life in Jesus, then we are infinitely more blessed than we could ever deserve. See, your breakthrough, it is coming. It's called heaven. Your miracle is coming. His name is Jesus. You can live your best life. It's your next life. You do have a living hope. It's in heaven. You will see him move the mountain in eternity. His promises still stand because all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Jesus is better than life. Jesus is better than, uh, Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is what we long for. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And there is not a depression or disorder that can ever take that away. Satan tried and he lost. So if you're depressed this morning, can I just plead with your heart that Jesus is what you're looking for. His perspective is what we all desire to see. He's better than wealth. He's better than security, prosperity, a husband, a wife, a better job, a better home, a promise that nothing bad will happen, an easy life. His promises are better. And that is the perspective that Elijah didn't have until he received the word from the Lord. And I feel like some of you this morning, you're receiving a word from the Lord right now in this moment. It may be the loud voice up here on stage. It may be the still, small voice, the low whisper from a friend in your life to just let you know that it's gonna be okay. Your anxiety has to bow. I know you don't feel like it. I know you can't see it. But maybe this morning, we learn to just trust a little bit. And so let me challenge you with this as we leave today through the power of the Holy Spirit, seek the help needed to trust in God's perspective. Is it physical help? Is there something you've been dealing with for years that you might need to to get someone to to help you with physically? Is it a change in your life to get this stressful job gone? To, To slow down on the kids' schedules? Is it relational help? Do you need a friend? 
Do you need to just get some, some more people in your life to speak in God's word? Do you need to just block a couple friends on social media who are speaking lies into your heart? Is it relational help? Do you need a small group? Or is it spiritual help? Do you need to just get back in the word to run to your father and pursue him? I don't know which one it is for you, but I know you're a three-dimensional human. God knows that. And depression's three-dimensional as well. We might need to seek out one of those helps today to get our perspective back and pursue that and know that in your depression, he doesn't promise to fix it, but he promises his presence for eternity. And that is enough. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would just speak in whatever way you see fit to every depressed and saddened heart. Bind up anything that is trying to distract your people in this moment. Allow us to seek and pursue and to run after those things. Because your love is better than life. So God, help us believe that in our hearts. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.